So last week, we looked at how we may need in our own lives a paradigm shift, a change in perspective, if you will, that those times in our lives where we may see a problem that we would trust that God may be creating a pathway. And, and in so trusting, we would shift the way that we view the world and we would be able to ask the question of what's next and we would be able to answer it with, doing the next best thing, the next right thing, and, and where God is calling us to go and be. And we looked at Acts 1, at where God, where Christ, as he, before he ascends, tells the disciples to return to Jerusalem. And they return, and, and this leads us into a familiar passage that we hear this day on Pentecost, where we tell the church, Happy Birthday! And we hear these verses in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And I'm not going to read the text because, as I said, it's a familiar text. But if you've never read it before, I invite you to go and read it. But in this text, we, we hear how they were all gathered there. And suddenly from heaven there came this sound like a rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And flaming tongues rested upon their heads and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And we, we hear that there were devout Jews from every people under heaven there. And at this sound, that the crowd kind of looked around and they were like, man, these folks must be drunk. Because everyone heard their own native language. And some were speaking in Galilean, some were spe- Some of them were Parthenians and Medes and Elamites. And so the people were like, are they filled with new wine? But Peter, standing there with the eleven, he, he looks at them and says, no, of course they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's too early for that type of behavior. No, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And in verse 17, we hear Peter quote that. And he says, In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. All your sons and all your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness. The moon to blood. Before the coming of the Lord. Lord's great and glorious day, then everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we hear this story, and I feel like we've become so accustomed to this story that we may need to take a step back and just acknowledge this is a weird story. But as we acknowledge that this is a weird story, I want to take you back to a verse that oftentimes gets overlooked in this. Verse 1 of this text where it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And that one place was Jerusalem. And we know this because we heard next one that they returned to Jerusalem. And we also know this because this is connecting the Jewish people to a festival. To a festival of Shavuot, or the festival of weeks, where it connects them to Mount Sinai, where we have been reading in the past few weeks about Exodus, and it reminds the people of the Exodus. 
Now, when they hear, when you hear the term the day on the day of Pentecost, it's not as we think of it as Pentecost, where we celebrate the text that we just heard. But they're thinking of this festival of weeks. It's one of the three major festivals for the Jewish people, and they would come to Jerusalem and remember the Exodus and the hope that they had. And I challenge you to go read in Exodus 19 where, where you would hear about the Exodus in Mount Sinai and, and they do a lot of remembering of Mount Sinai. And they would celebrate this because it was 50 days after their liberation, 50 meaning Pentecost, and that's where they get their term for Pentecost. And Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and experiences God through, through a mighty rushing wind and a pillar of fire and thunder, which in the Hebrew, the word for thunder translates to voices. And then Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, and due to the disobedience of the Israeli people, 3,000 people die. So we have wind and fire and voices and 3,000 people and, and 50 days. And, and as we think about those, as those facts and figures are weighing in our head, we hear these words where it says, suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, divided tongues as of Fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. But then here are these words from verses 41 and 42, where after we hear the story that we've already heard, we begin to hear all that is unfolded. We, we start to hear of the different um, sermons that are being preached. And we hear of this day of Pentecost. And then in verses 41 and 42 we hear, So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They, they've heard the sermon that Peter just gave in, in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 were saved. You see, it, it, I don't think this is a coincidence, but I think that what God did on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, He is now doing in a new and profound way in Acts chapter 2. What happened with Moses is nothing compared to what is happening because of Jesus. And we unfold all of this, and we find ourselves so often when we hear this story, and we may find ourselves like the people in Jerusalem that day, as we hear in verse 12, that all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does all this mean? It's a beautiful story of the Holy Spirit coming and filling God's people, but what does it mean? Well, the first thing that it tells us is that God meets us where we are. You see, these people are gathered and they're reflecting on their ancestors' exodus and they're participating in some hopeful expectation of that God will one day send a Messiah and bring them out of their deliverance. But you may be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, they're waiting on a Messiah? They, they just had Jesus risen from the dead. Wouldn't somebody be like, wait a minute, maybe this guy was the Messiah? But they don't. Because they, they're still in a place of uncertainty. And, and even amidst their doubt and fear and uncertainty and anxiety, God shows up. The, the Holy Spirit shows up. And this should give us great hope. 
that God meets you where you are. No matter where you are, God meets you where you are. And for for the people in Jerusalem this day, that would be a, a weird thing for them to understand because previous generations and religions believe that God and God's little G don't meet you, but you've got to go and meet them. But God, big G God, is so good that he'll meet you where you are, but he's so great that he won't leave you where he found you. Because we see that God, as the Holy Spirit comes, it meets them where they are, but it ushers them to a new place of salvation. The other so what about all of this is that it tells us that God is for all people. Because this is where the weirdness continues. The people, they they shared in many languages. They they found themselves all all speaking their own native tongues and all hearing in their own native tongues. And for many people, we just kind of gloss over this, but this is the, the weirdness of the book of Acts. The voices being spoken. And, and as we hear, hear that part, portion of the scripture, it draws us back to Genesis fifteen sixteen, where it says, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, here being Jerusalem, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And what we, what we start to see is that they have returned and that God is for all people. It is a bringing back together of all the people. It is the fulfillment of the covenant. On Sinai, God made a covenant with the Israelites and here he is opening the covenant to all people that all are welcome because all persons that were present heard it in their own voice. God says, I am here for all people. And this is weird because the other gods that people would worship in this day uh, were of certain languages or of certain nations of certain peoples. They were, they were for a certain sect. But God says... I'm weird. I'm different. I'm for all people. Because as we've heard previously, big G God is greater than the little G gods. And God is not some small G God, but God is God of all. And the third thing that this text tells us is that God's presence went from places to people. Before Acts 2, God's presence was believed to reside only in the places such as the Ark of the Covenant or the Temple and the Holy of Holies, which we've talked about previously. But at the crucifixion, what we heard, the curtain to the Holy of Holies was torn from the top to the bottom. And in Acts chapter 2, the presence of God starts to rest not only in places, but on and in people. In the Old Testament, little g-gods were bound to temples and altars and idols on mountains and in the cosmos and in locations. But big g-god, our God, the one true God, is weird and is not bound up to places but found in people. God is not bound at all, as a matter of fact, because God is out of bounds. He is so weird and bizarre according to the little g-gods that many people had believed in in this time. He is something new and transformative. But you may be saying, well, that's great for them, but what does that mean for us in 2022? So what? Well, the question would be, how are we presenting God in 2022? 
Are we presenting a God who meets you where you are and is for all people, is not bound up by places, but found in people? Are, are, are we even presenting this God at all to the world? Because this is the God presented in Pentecost. This is the God of salvation and the Holy Spirit of rebirth. But too often we see, we still find ourselves presenting those little G God belief systems. That we, and we must stop presenting the one true God as the gods of the past. Those gods who you had to earn their love who were for some select group but not for all, who were bound to service, services and dates and places and locations. You know, we would never say that, but for many of us, we go, you know, um, you got to do the good deeds to earn God's grace. Or we'd say something like, yeah, these people are the people that God came for because they are living right. Or, or you've got to come to us. God's present in the church building. And what I've found is when this type of God is presented to people, they walk, or better yet, most times they run away, and they should, because this is not God. This is some fabrication that we have created in our own mind. And the call of Pentecost is to reclaim weird. Let's allow God, the universal, one true God, the Holy Spirit, to meet us where we are, and not just us, but to allow God to meet people where they are. And stop telling people that they have to do this or that for God to be present with them. Because God is for all people. God doesn't, believe it or not, God does not hate the people that you hate. As a matter of fact, I've heard it said that if God hates the same people that you hate, then it's a, probably a good sign that you've created God in your own image. But God loves God loves the Republicans and the Democrats. He loves all races, genders, sexual orientations, ethnicities. God loves your allies as well as your enemies. He loves you and all other people with the same ferocity that took him to the cross. He seeks and leaves the 99 to seek the one. He loves all of us with that same intensity. God doesn't have a hierarchy of his love. God sees under and God sees past every label, every social construct, and all the reasons that we use to make a person our enemy. God sees past it all. And he sees to the heart of the person. God, God sees people not as issues, but God says, you are my child whom I love, and so are they. And why? Why? Well, very simply, because as we hear in 1 John 4, 16, God is love. It's not something that God does. It's what God is. So as we hear of this weird, strange motion that happened in Acts 2, and of the weird and strange God that we proclaim to worship and serve, let us present that same strange God to this world that so badly needs to see, hear, and feel this world, be felt in this world. See, we live in a world of division and hate, where we say these people are in and these people are out. God, God won't, won't come to you. You've got to go to God. 
where, where we hear that you can only encounter God in, in a worship service or in this place or that place, that God can't be present there. And we put bounds and limitations on God. Of who God can love, of what God can do, of who's in and who's out. But this Pentecost, will we answer the call to be ignited by the fire of the Holy Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit that welcomes others in? With the Spirit that is, is willing to say, not just come, but let, is, that equips us and strengthens us to go. To go to the other. To go share. To go be the church. To go show the world God. The God of Pentecost. The God that is a bit weird. Are we willing to go and be a bit weird as well? The challenge of Pentecost is this. As we go forth and seek to share the love and grace and mercy, the power of the Holy Spirit, let's get weird. Amen. Amen.